Welcome to another inspirational My Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Colin Santafe. To find out more about My Church, visit mychurchcanada.com. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to pick up um, in this whole kind of conversation we've been having about the life of David, really looking at his life. And, and the thing that we're trying to draw from it is this whole idea that a lot of us want to see the end right away. We want to see those points of victory, those significant points in our life. But actually, all of those points come with a whole lot of process. And that's really what we see in the life of David is that there's this whole process that David goes through that God refines him and starts to shape him into the person that he could use for his purposes. And in the same way, I really believe that each and every one of us have God purpose on our lives. There's a promise that's been put over each and every one of us. And it actually takes us going through some process to see what God can do and to see how he can shape our hearts. And so we've heard kind of about this guy, David. Um, where he grew up, we, we've heard about his anointing. And what I want to do is talk about one of the big victories, probably the most iconic story or one of the most iconic stories in the Bible of David and Goliath. And whether you're a Christian, whether you're not a Christian, I think this is kind of like one of those classic underdog stories of this guy who, against all of the odds, takes down this huge giant. And I think that there's actually, though, when we really start to peek into this story, there's a whole lot more depth to it Uh, than we might give at first glance. And there's a whole lot more than just kind of um, a shallow underdog story to the story of David. And so I'm believing that this this kind of 3,000-year-old story is going to apply to how you look at your work, how you look at moving forward in your life, how you look at your relationships. And so we're going to jump right into it in 1 Samuel 17, all right? 1 Samuel 17, we're actually going to go through the whole chapter um, as we kind of go through the talk today. Um, But this is what it says. It says, The Philistines now mustered their army for battle and camped between um, Sukkoth and Judah um, and uh, Ezekiah and um, the other place, a couple places. They were camped between two places. And Saul countered by gathering his Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. And so the Philistines and the Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with a valley in between them. And then Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks uh, to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall, so this was a tall dude. And this is what it says. So a lot of the time, actually, just so you know, in history, um, not always, but sometimes what they would do is if there was kind of a stalemate in battle, they would send two champions in. And these two champions from each army would, would basically decide the outcome of the army. Whoever won, that would be victory for all of the army. Whoever lost, that would be a loss for the whole army, okay? And when we read in verse 16, it says, For 40 days, every morning and evening, the Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israelite army. So think about this. So 40 days, he's just going in front of them. He's taunting them. He's jeering them. He's making fun of them for 40 days, 40 nights. God, we thank you for today. Thank you for your word. And I just pray that as, um, as we explore your word today, that it would just speak to each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. amen. Hey, um, I, I love uh, fixing stuff. Does anybody like fixing things? There's like three people. Okay, well, this is for you. I, uh, I, I do. I, I like fixing things, um, but I'm really bad at fixing things. Um, I don't know if you, you're kind of the same way, but I find that I'll try to like kind of take on these, um, these projects and it'll literally end with like some sort of dead end, some sort of like brick wall where I just can't do it. Now, I've noticed that there's a specific group of people that are just incredible at home improvement projects. 
And look, I'm not going to like point anybody out or say, say anybody or the type of person, but when I go to my white friends' houses, um, basically, <laughs> basically, they're just good. They're good at home improvement. I don't know if you've experienced this. Like, you'll go to their basement and be like, man, I thought like, I thought this basement was, was unfinished. And they'll just like, yeah, built it. It's like, and that's, there's always a deep breath. Have you ever noticed that? They'll just, and then there's the power stance on that, built it. Like, I, I'll be like, man, I thought that thing was broke. Fixed it. It's like, I've just noticed, and like, I, I remember I tried to, I was, I was over at this, um, this person's house. I used to do yard work for them, and they needed their screen door fixed. And literally an hour into it, I had every piece of this screen door on the ground. And I kid you not, this is the truth. I was literally praying to God to put it back together. I was like, God, I know that you're the God who takes broken things and puts them. It's bad when you're, you're counting on the redemptive, miraculous power of God to put a screen door together. Like, I should have just called Ted. But, like, that was just kind of what it is. Or, like, I've noticed with other people, too. Um, maybe when it comes to computers, they're incredible at... Um, at making computers work, making it all happen. Um, and again, I don't want to point anybody out or anything like that, but when I go to my immigrant friend's houses, it's like, I'm, I'm just saying, I'll be like, man, how did you learn how to code? It's like, did you learn? They're like, yes, on Saturdays during the summer. Like, that's, that's just how it is. That's how they're working towards it. There's some of them looking at me like, yeah, he's right. I mean, yeah, he's, he's telling the truth. I know for me, I'll try to like do these like computer things. Like I remember um, I play Age of Empires. It's this 15-year-old strategy game that I should have stopped playing 15 years ago. See, there was one person who was like, Whoa, oh, oh, no, okay, sorry. I, I don't like it either. Um, and there's this game that I played. I remember me and my brother were trying to figure it out. We play it every Christmas. And uh, for some reason, the game wasn't working. Two hours later, I'm on these crazy chats. I'm sure I'm downloading viruses. I have no idea what's happening. And I'm pretty much at a brick wall. I'm at a standstill. And when I think about even this story, I think so often in life, we can be at a standstill. We can be at this place where it's like we know what we need to do. We know what we want to do. We know how we want to move forward. But it doesn't feel like we have the ability to be able to. So think about this story. There's the Israelites camped in one valley. Or sorry, on one hill. There's the Philistines camped on another hill. And there's a valley in between them. So if you picture it in Israel, basically from the coastline, from the Mediterranean, you've got plains, turns into rolling hills, and then in Jerusalem, it's basically mountainous. So these guys are in kind of this pretty deep mountainous region, a whole bunch of huge valleys. And if you know anything about war, basically for you to go down into a valley, for you to be lower than your opponent, is actually a disadvantage in, in conflict, right? So that's like the, the whole saying of like fighting an uphill battle. It's because it's actually harder to fight uphill. So for either one of these sides to go down into this valley would be basically ceding their, their victory. It would basically be them giving up their victory. And so there's no way forward. And so they're in this deadlock. They're in this stalemate. And out of this comes this giant. Comes Goliath and he's in the middle. And now on top of this impossible situation of going, we can't go first. We can't make the, move, the first move. We know what we need to do. We know what's going to fix the situation. But now even if we did, there's a giant in front of us. And I think so often in our lives, this is where a lot of our promises live and die. It's on the side of a hill, looking and knowing where we need to go. Looking and knowing what God has called us to, but going, there's something too big in front of me. There's a giant in front of me. And I, I mean, none of us, hopefully, will ever have to face off with a real nine-foot giant. Um, and I think we've got pretty good odds these days. But 
I think when we look at it, there's so many giants. Maybe for you today, your giant is sickness. It's a doctor's report. Maybe for you, your, your giant today is finance. And it's like, man, I, I, know it, I know what God's called me to do. I know what's in my heart to do. I, I wish I could do it, but I've just got this huge thing in front of me. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's actually people who have said things about you. Maybe it's people who haven't set you up for a win. And so it actually is maybe not necessarily physically fighting someone, but it's working through a really uh, angry relationship or a cancerous relationship. You know, I don't know what it is for you, but I know that each and every one of us fight giants. Maybe it's apathy. Maybe it's actually just getting out of bed and going, man, okay, I I guess I'm going to do this. But life is feeling so mundane. It's just feeling like the same old, same old, and and I want to move forward, and I'm not moving forward. And I'm sick of every time I see a friend a year from now, and they say, what are you doing? I'm doing the same thing, and I don't want to do it anymore. I wonder what your giant is today. If you're taking notes, even take a second and write it down for you. What's my giant today? What's the thing that's keeping me from God's promise on my life? What's the thing that's holding me back? What's the thing that I went, man, if I, if I really went into this, if I really stepped out, I mean, it's just too big. It's insurmountable. that I, I can't face off with this thing in front of me. You know, uh, for some people too, maybe your giant is addiction. Maybe you're battling a porn addiction. Maybe you're battling substance abuse. And you're going, I know what it would take. I I know I want to be clean. I know I want to sort this thing out. But this just seems too big. It's too real. And I can't do anything about it. And I think this is the space where so many of our dreams live. This is the space of where so much God promise lives. And we see these Israelites and they're just facing off, just watching this thing happen day after day after day after day. I wonder how many years it's been for you. Like, actually, take a second, take inventory. Like, really count it. How long has it been since you've let that giant sit in that valley of your promise? How long has it been? I think it's important to ask yourselves these questions because if you're just listening to the words and you're not engaging with it right now, then this is just going to be a pat on the back. Maybe you'll laugh, maybe you'll cry, and then we'll move on and do our own thing. But think about it as I'm saying this. What's your giant and how long has it been? And are we willing to maybe have a conversation about it today? And this is what I see is when I look at this life of David, like what he did, this guy shows up, this this shepherd, anointed king, but then reappointed to just be a shepherd. This is five years later from his appointment, or at least most people chronologically would assume it's about five years after Samuel's come, poured a bunch of oil on his head and said, you're the next king of Israel. And now David, he's back in his, father's, um, in his father's fields. He's back to shepherding. He shows up, sees this guy, and we know the story. He goes up, he takes a sling, takes it down, wins the girl. He lives tax-free. It's an amazing day for David. Like, that's, that's a great story. But I think that there's some things about this story that we need to look a little bit closer to. And it's not just the fact that David fought a giant. It's how David fought the giant. And what I'm going to propose today is that there's actually a set of questions and conversations we need to kind of engage with when it comes to the giants in our lives that might seem backwards, but are actually the way that God uses it to really build and to tailor promise in our lives. So if you're taking notes, write this down. To face your giant is to face accusation. To face your giant is to face accusation. So let's, let's kind of continue in this story, and we'll, we'll kind of like 
unpack what David, what happens to David. So it says this in verse 23. David heard Goliath shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant, the man asked. He comes each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give the man one of his daughters for a wife, and he will uh, make the man's entire family exempt from paying taxes. David asked the soldiers standing nearby, wait, what will a man get for killing this guy and ending the defiance of Israel? Who is this guy anyways that he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God? And these guys said, look, Um, Yeah, the reward for killing him. um, Sorry. uh, Yeah, that's the reward for killing him. But listen to what this says. When David's older brother, Elab, heard David talking to the man, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyways, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. And now this is the quintessential brother argument. Okay, well, what have I done? I was just asking a question. That's how every fight starts right there. He walked, over, um, he walked over to some others and asked the same question, received the same answer. Then David's question was reported to King Saul, and the king sent for him. So think about this. David shows up on this scene, and I think a lot of us, we like to jump straight to Goliath taunting David, throwing insults at David. And yet, actually, there was some more cutting insults that David had to endure before Goliath ever showed up. And see, this is the thing. Let's, let's keep in mind the context of this story. David has been appointed king, and there's only a group of people that know, his family. So his brother is the only person or a, a, a small group of people who actually know what's on David's life. And David is starting to ask questions of going like, wait, wait, wait a second. Think about the implications of this. David, the anointed king, is going and asking, wait a second, I'm going to get the daughter of the king, so I'm going to become a prince? No, 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 you're just a shepherd, man. Think about that. Wait, I could become a prince. Uh, Wait, God called me to be a king. And what does his brother do? There's four statements his brother makes in those two sentences that are so cutting, I think even one of them has probably sidelined you at some point in your life. Let's break down what his brother says. Listen to this. What are you doing here? In other words, you don't belong. I wonder how many people have said that about you. No, no, you don't belong here. Now, the next thing, the the next phrase, it's not even the next sentence. Um, What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? Yeah, what are you supposed, I thought you had that little startup thing. You're not supposed to be in this meeting. Oh, what about that? No, this is too big for you. So David's brother is saying, no, you don't belong This is too big for you. And then he says, no, I know about your pride and deceit. I know who you really are. This isn't, I know who you are. Yeah, yeah, you're going around asking questions. You're asking, oh, okay, yeah, what can I? No, no, I know who you really are, David. You're prideful and you're conceited. I wonder how many people have pegged you. No, no, I know who you really are. (laughs) Trust me, you can't do that. I know your parents. I know your family. I know where you came from. And then think about the last thing that he says. You just want to see the battle. You're not even here for the right reasons. Yeah, you don't belong. This is too big for you. I know who you really are, and you're not here for the right reasons. You think Goliath's taunts meant anything to David? One of the few guys who knows what's on his life says this about him. And I wonder if that's ever been said about you. Yeah, you don't belong here. Trust me. Over and over and over. It's interesting that David's brother 
who had been hearing this from Goliath for 40 days started sounding a whole lot like Goliath in this moment. Hey, let's flip the script for just a sec. I wonder who you become a Goliath to. I wonder who you've started sounding like that. I wonder how you're processing your children's dreams. Just uh, don't shoot the messenger. Anyways. Um, <laughs> but think about the implications of these statements. See, there's three accusers in life. There's the devil, who we know the Bible says accuses the saints. There's people who can accuse us. But then there's also you. And you can accuse yourself. And I wonder how many times you've said, well, no, no, you are just an addict. Well, no, no, you are just unrighteous. It's not happening. No, no, you are bad with, no, no, you, look at my family. This is who I am. But I'm here to tell you that that is not who you are. It's not the accusations. And I love that David, in this moment, in this deep moment of rejection from the people who are closest to him, isn't looking at rejection, but he's looking at reward. And before his brother speaks and after his brother speaks, David is still going, wait, what's the reward again? Wait, I can become a prince? I can live tax-free? Hey, I, I need to hear it from you too. Wait a second, I can become a prince? I can live tax-free? Wait, can I ask you as well? Wait, oh, okay, wait, I can launch this business and it can't be successful? Wait a second, I can't change my family ties? I can't change my family tree? Wait a second, I can still have a life after sickness? Wait a second, I can still get out of bed? See, at the end of the day, God has a different story and where there's rejection, I'm telling you, there's a reward. And I wonder what you've become consumed with. Have you become consumed with the rejection of the people closest? Or are you still consumed with the reward that's in front of you? I love what Paul says in, in Corinthians. The first book of Corinthians, Paul is defending. He basically goes, starts this church, and then all of these people start basically speaking bad about Paul. And Paul is basically writing now to defend his intention and his apostolic call. And yeah, what do you see with Paul? He says, he says, well, wait a second, everybody's running the race, and I'm running this race to win. I'm running for the prize. I'm running for the reward. See, although he had faced some rejection, he was still consumed with the reward of doing something, seeing Jesus move, seeing what God can do. And I wonder for you, have you stopped looking at what God can do through you and in you and around you? I wonder what you're looking at today. And this is the thing, I think, to face some of our giants in life, we actually need to face this accusation, but remember that there's a greater reward. And so I don't know what it is for you, but I want to tell you the things that the devil is saying about you, the things that people are saying about you, if it does not line up with scripture, it's a lie. And if you're telling it to yourself, don't believe yourself. Don't believe it. Because this is more true than how you feel. This is more true than your appraisal of yourself. This is more true than what every other person who has spoken bad about you is. This is more true than your family tree and your origin story. This is the truth, and we ought to hold on to this in the reward of the word of God. And so I wonder for you, when it comes to facing your giant, where do you actually need to start to look at that accusation and say, I'm going to start to gravitate, not from the rejection, but I'm going to gravitate towards reward. And that's what I see in the life of David, and he does it so beautifully. You know, secondly, I think to face your giant is to face inadequacy. To face your giant is to face inadequacy. Let's keep reading in the story. It says, now David, now it's interesting too 
that those very accusations that could have leveled him, when he keeps asking questions around the reward, it put him in front of a king. I just wonder when you start to stir around the reward, what's it going to put you in front of? But think about this. So now all of a sudden, he's entertaining the king because he stayed focused on the reward. And this is his first statement to him. Don't worry about this guy. I got it. (laughs) Confident guy. Listen to what Saul says. Don't be ridiculous. There's no way you can fight this guy and possibly win. You're a boy. And this guy's been a man of war since his youth. David persisted. Look, I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. This sounds promising. This is a great defense. (laughs) And when a lion and a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club. I feel like there's better ways, but that's fine. Um, And then he basically is like, yeah, I beat it to death. And I've done this with lions and bears. And so what does this pagan Philistine stand Well, um, he knows how to fight, and you've never fought before, David. So he's got that going. He's nine feet tall. And this is basically what Saul goes. But Saul says, all right, go for it. May the Lord be with you. Isn't that how so many experts say it? Okay, well, I hope God is with you. That's, I wonder if that's, if that's been said of you, you're headed in the right direction. Then Saul gave David his own armor, his bronze helmet, all of this stuff. David puts it on. He's like, this isn't me. He's like, I can't go in these. I'm not used to them. David took them off. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream, put them into his bag, and armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. You know, expert opinion means a lot to a lot of people. And it's interesting that Saul is probably one of the only experts left in Israel around military conquest. Think about this. Israel doesn't have blacksmiths at the time, or they're all controlled by enemies. So Saul is one of the few people with an actual weapon. He's the first king of Israel. He's the first to lead a successful military campaign in a whole long time. And so this is a guy who's been in war, who's taken life, who's seen the battlefield, who's seen opponents, and he's sizing it all up, and he looks at David and says, trust me, this is a horrible idea. And so now it's not just David's brother, the guy who knows what's on him, who's accusing him of like, oh, this is it, you don't belong. It's actually an expert qualifying this statement now, also saying, based on my experience, this isn't a good idea. I wonder if you've ever been there. I wonder what stat right now is holding you back from walking into your calling. I wonder what stat right now is holding you back from what God's promised on your life. Maybe it's age. Oh, man, I'm too young. Um, I'm too young. I can't do it. And guess what? This is the interesting thing. There's never a right time because then all of a sudden it's going to flick a switch and you're going to say, man, I'm too old. Man, I mean, the success rate for these types of businesses, one in 100. And you can go on. uh, I need this much money to launch this thing. And guess what? Eventually, at one point, you're not going to have enough money. And then at one point, you're going to go, man, this is too much money to really risk helping somebody. It's too much money to risk being generous. And then all of a sudden you go, man, I don't have enough money to do it. And it's interesting that you can play either stat from every expert on either side and you're never enough. And now, am I saying that expert opinion is not important? Actually, I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying go to, when you go to the doctor and it's like, yeah, you're sick. It's like, no, I'm not. Colin told me I'm not. Like, that's, that's not what I'm saying. But listen, look at where David places his confidence. David doesn't go, no, 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 I can can fight Goliath. 
He doesn't try to qualify Saul. He says, no, no, I, I don't know if I can do that, but this is what I do have. This is where I am graced. This is where I have seen God move. And although a lot of things might omit me, God has graced me in these areas to see me walk into it. So although I might not have experience with this type of giant, I've actually seen God's faithfulness and favor in this area in my life. And so I think in the same way, we don't have to be scared of our inadequacies. We don't have to be scared of not being enough when it comes to facing off with giants like addiction, like sickness, like apathy, finance, whatever it is for you, relationships. We don't have to go into it going, I've got everything that it takes. And this is the thing, people will try to put their techniques on you. They'll try to put their armor, but, God, but um, David goes right back to what God had graced him with. And this is the beautiful thing about the Bible, is God uses... Um, material possessions that don't have the characteristics to do what God uses them for. What do I mean by that? Think about the Bible. God uses a jawbone to kill a thousand Philistines in one story. With Moses' staff, he uses a stick to herd shepherds to part seas. With Gideon, he uses this this goat's fleece to be able to tell Gideon that they're going to have success in battle. When you look at David, he uses this sling to be able to kill a giant. When you look at Elijah's story, he uses water to create fire. (laughs) See, God uses materials that don't have what it takes to execute his purpose. And this is the craziest one. This is the craziest one. He uses humans to exact eternal purpose. Because we don't have what it takes to do what God calls us to do. But somehow he can take our simple, our everyday, and fashion it into something beautiful. And I wonder for you, are you just looking at what the experts are saying? Are you looking at what you don't have? Or are you looking at what you do have? See, David was consumed with what he had. He wasn't looking going, man, okay, Saul, can you show me a couple like, you know, like moves? He's going, no, no, I've killed lions. I've killed bears. And not on my own volition, but I've seen God do it through me. So I know that God's going to be faithful in this. Because he's brought me here for this time and for this place. And so I wonder, you might not have everything that it takes. But maybe you do have a little bit of money. Maybe you do have a little bit of talent. Maybe you do have a little bit of passion left. Maybe start to use those and see God do something incredible through them. So don't be scared to face your giant. You need to face inadequacy. The band can come up. And then finally... To face your giant is to face your doubt. To face your giant is to face your doubt. Listen to what it says if we keep reading the story in verse 40. Then armed only with a shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Goliath walked out towards David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to this Philistine. He had some ammo because of his brother. He said, you came at me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, who you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and cut your head off. 
And then I'll give your dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle. He will give it, give you to us. This dude knew how to trash talk. He was ready. He was amped up at this point. Because he's already been discounted by the people close to him. He's already had expert opinion, but he still has this tenacity to walk into the theater of battle and say, I I can do this. And this is the thing. We love to find sophisticated ways to explain away faith in God, to explain away really taking a step, like taking one that's either going to be like God is real or he's not. We don't like putting ourselves in positions like that. We like to put ourselves in a safe position that I can take a calculated risk. And if God is God, he shows up. And if he's not, I can explain it. And I think so many giants aren't fought because of this. Can he really do it? David puts it all on the line. Because that day, either the Philistines were going to see that God was fake or they were going to see that he was real. And there was no middle ground. I wonder for you if you're willing to truly trust God. See, a lot of people live life trying not to take risk, but that's where faith lives. And I want to posit to you, what's, what's a, a better life? A life where you take a risk and you're not sure and maybe he comes through like you thought, maybe he doesn't, or one with regret. Because I can tell you, living on that edge of your promise, living on that hill of your promise will only breed regret. And so in some sense, this is the only real course of action that David can take. But he doubles down on it. He doesn't go into this valley with any sense of his ability. He doesn't go into this valley just trying to say empty threats, but he goes in just going, I've got God. And either he's going to show up in this situation or he's not. But I'm pretty confident he's going to show up in this situation. How much of your giants have been just because of your doubts? And I wonder today, if you started to take a risk, if you started to step out in faith, if you started to take God at his word, what might happen? What might happen to that addiction? What might happen to that financial situation? What might happen to those relationships? If you just said... I'm going to step out and I'm going to trust and I'm going to take a risk. And there is story after story after story of people like you and me who did it and God came through. And I want to encourage you. What does faith look like in your, what was the last time where you said, man, it's God or I don't know. Seriously, think about it. Was it last week? Was it 10 years ago? Was it when you first met Christ? When was the last time when you felt uncomfortable? You said, man, I'm just gonna do it. I'm gonna pray. Now I'm just gonna give. I'm just gonna show up. I'm just gonna express what God's put inside my heart. I'm gonna just share this talent. I'm just gonna see what happens because at the end of the day, I know God has brought me here for a reason and either he's real or he's not real, but I see a book full of people who are convinced and I see a nation full of people who are convinced and I see countries over countries, story after story of people who are convinced of his goodness, who are convinced of his grace, who are convinced and have confidence in him. 
Man, I think it's so true what Pastor Julie uh, spoke today about waking up, springing forward. I wonder what that looks like for you. See, to face our giants is to face our doubt, it's to face our inadequacy, it's to face the accusation, and to start to become consumed with the reward that's still in front of us, with the confidence of the fact that God still shows up and we can have faith in him, and that he prepares us in our journey, even amidst our inadequacies. There's one last part to this story that I wanna read. And I think the endings of stories are always so important and they're so packed with meaning. Listen to what it says. So David now, he's conquered uh, Goliath. He's cut his head off. The Israelites are running after the rest of the Philistines. And this is what it says in verse 55. As Saul watched David go out to fight the Philistine, he asked Abner, the commander of his army, Abner, whose, whose son is that young man? I don't know, Abner replied. He said, well, find out who he is. As soon as David returned from killing Goliath, Abner brought him to Saul with the Philistine's head still in his hand. Tell me about your father, Saul said. And David replied, his name is Jesse and we live in Bethlehem. His name is Jesse and we live in Bethlehem. See, in the East, a lot of people knew their sons or knew people by their father's name. And it's interesting that Saul, looking at this victory, looking at this kid who's literally holding victory in his hands, he says, wait, who is this person? Where does he come from? What's his origins? What's his story? And in this moment of victory, David is forced to look back and say, yeah, Jesse, I'm Jesse from Bethlehem a father who didn't see him fit to be in front of a prophet who saw a king. Yeah, Jesse in Bethlehem, a guy who didn't see this son, this king, as worthy to be on the front lines of battle, so he kept him in the field. Yeah, yeah, Jesse in Bethlehem, the guy who only saw a shepherd and never saw that he would tend to a nation. See, the deeper thing in this story is that the giants in your life, your origin, your starting point does not define you. It is not the most important thing. And in fact, at your point of victory is where you can look back at the story and see that God worked it for his purpose. And your past is not what defines you. Your label is not what defines you, but it's only Jesus. And that's how we face our giants. We hope this message blessed and encouraged you. To find out more about our church, visit mychurchcanada.com.